welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 88th episode, I'll be talking to Rich Howard, game designer and co-host of Whelmed the Young Justice Files, about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Along the way, we discussed meeting your marine biology heroes, the missing episode of Super Friends, and for once, someone who isn't me cries about the Flash. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> I'm a many-faceted snowflake. My name is Rich Howard. I am a few things. I am a game designer. I'm one of the co-creators of a game called Descent into Midnight, which is a game where you play sentient alien aquatic creatures on an alien world that are fighting an existential threat to their community and their minds. We're doing major play tests actually this year at Gen Con, and hopefully we'll may perhaps have a Kickstarter going next year. I am also a game designer, having worked on a lot of 5th edition and Pathfinder material as well that you can find on DriveThruRPG. I'm also the co-creator and co-host of a podcast called The Young Justice Files. My co-host Emily has been on this show, actually, and it was... She has indeed. Amazing. I loved listening. <laughs> I love listening to Emily anyway, but for those of you who may not have heard that one, The Whelmed the Young Justice Files is a fan cast where we not only break down all of the episodes of the absolutely brilliant television series Young Justice, but we also bring on guests from different creative endeavors and talk about just in a way a little bit like how what you do here. We talk about their love of Young Justice, their love of DC Comics, what their creative venues are or professional venues are and how they may have been inspired by comics, by Young Justice or just by creativity in general. We've had everything from Jeff Stormer from the Party One podcast, who has a degree in comic history, has come on and schooled us on the history of the fourth world and Jack Kirby. We've had Crispin Freeman, one of the voice actors for the show, is also a mythology scholar, and he came on and spoke two hours on comparative Eastern and Western mythology in relation to Young Justice. <laughs> We've had I, so many. Quinn Wilson from the Swallows of the South podcast came on and talked about the use of linguistics and psychology and storytelling. We do it all. We do a lot on the podcast, and, and we love it. So, yeah, that's kind of what I do. That's that's my non-day job <laughs> stuff. Just a few things, you know. A couple irons in the fire and a few hands and a few pies. You know, no big deal. I'm participating. I'm here to participate. <laughs> And I mean, I talked about this a little bit with Emily, but I have been listening since the very beginning, you know, back when you single-handedly brought back the season three of Young Justice. That's not what happened. <laughs> People say that, but no, thank you. But no, we had nothing. I mean, we didn't, we started the podcast. We want to do the podcast, but when we decided we were going to do the podcast, it took us six months to get the podcast moving. We had 14 episodes in the can when we started airing and then we started airing and like three weeks into it, they announced the season three. So we'd only had three episodes out, I think, when season three was announced. And then we're like, oh, my God, we have like 11 more episodes where we talk about how much we hope a season three happens because we'd already recorded them all. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I did do my part on social media for boosting the Keep Binging YJ on Netflix campaign. And that whole campaign is what inspired Whelm to even happen in the first place. So, so many fans, literally millions of fans around the world helped to get this happening for all of us. So we're more here to help people enjoy the show at a different level than we were responsible for anything. <laughs> well, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, backing up episodes into the can before you ever released anything. And listeners, if you're thinking of starting a podcast, I highly recommend that. I mean, I had four and then five when the first week it dropped before like completely recorded, edited and ready to go before I released episode one. So that helped me stick to a weekly schedule. So it makes me happy that I wasn't just, you know, a crazy prepared weirdo. Oh, no. To be like, right after yeah. we started releasing, both Caleb and I couldn't record for two months. Oh. Oh, so 
week out. We didn't know that though. So we started releasing and then we had recorded a couple more episodes and then suddenly life hit us. We would have pod faded within weeks had we been going from week to week or one episode at a time. So we were releasing, I think, once a week right at the beginning. But then once the season three announced, we thought it was coming out sooner than it was. So we jumped to twice a week, which almost killed Caleb. Sorry, Caleb. <laughs> twice a week's a yeah. lot. And so the next thing we knew, we hit episode 100 on our one year anniversary. So we had basically wow. did two plus episodes a week because we did Intel updates as well. So that's wild it's pretty insane yeah i think about like a show like we have concerns that does like you know well did it did recently stopped at their three four hundredth episode or something like that and they do the yeah it's like tuesday thursday and saturday and i'm like you're i i don't even know how you do that yeah you know how you do it you have a 14 episode buffer in the can (laughs) (laughs) that's what you yeah you do and you some of the stuff i was doing by myself because we have secret origins episodes where i talk about the history of the characters and how they tie into the comics and what they changed and didn't change we now have super sweethearts which is emily coming on the show talking about the romantic arcs and how you implement and write good romantic arcs for your own creative stuff so we're doing some things where i was doing it by myself so i could just sit down and record and it didn't involve caleb he was just you know editing just quote unquote editing like it didn't take way more than me just sitting and talking you know so that helped as well so you know we, we try to figure out the best ways to do it and we kept ourselves as organized as possible we have outlines and that helps a lot reduce the stress and yeah because when i started getting because for a while i had a really long commute to work so part of how i would deal with that is i would pirate a whole bunch of cartoons and i would load them up on my ipad and sit and like i got through all of what we'll eventually talk about justice league that way i got through all of teen titans and i got through all of young justice that way and so i was in a space where i wasn't talking about it and so the idea of then stepping into this podcast, who wasn't just doing, you know, the episode by episode recaps, like you said, but was really digging deep into what made the show work. And oh, you mean uh, this podcast? You mean our podcast? Yes. Oh, yes. oh awesome. With Whelmed. So it was like I had gone all the way through season one and uh, season two. And then it was one of those things where I had never had the outlet to properly discuss it, apart from the occasional, hey, isn't Young Justice great on Twitter? Right. I feel you. The podcast was, this was therapy for us. We were like, we, I, you know what? It's therapy. This is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to get let off the hook. I don't have to crush my local friends <laughs> with my enthusiasm and details. I can just talk into a microphone and then whoever wants to listen can listen to me ramble on. Yeah. And gee whiz, people actually listened and liked it. Weird. It's weird. I know, right? Yeah, it's fun. It's good. I'm so glad. <laughs> so happy somebody liked it. Especially because it's something that I wasn't as familiar with as I was with the shows or with the comics, is that I'd only done, at the time, one evening of 3.5 edition D&D, where I had died in my first fight and then spent the rest of the night just killing a bottle of wine and being snarky. Oh yeah, I've told the story on the show. I had a very hardcore DM who had given me the books and I'd spent the whole night before building a character and making sure I'd spec'd him completely right, and then he died in his first fight because I hadn't properly, you know, spec'd for armor or whatever else. Because 3.5, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, and I said, well, can I at least roll a new character, or like, can I have another go? And I was told that actions have consequences, and so I couldn't play for the rest of the night. Oh, I have so many thoughts about this. I know, right? <laughs> and the thing is, I, I've since done some great role-playing with my friend Alex, who is a much, much better GM, and we've done things like Feng Shui, which is much more forgiving oh, and Feng fun. Feng Shui is great. Masks is great. There's so many, there's so many good role-playing games out right now. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, and starting off with Whelmed, and I mean, that's a big part of the show, is that you sit there and you look and you go, okay, like learning about failing forward and how that would have really helped me in my fight where I got killed by a fucking kobold. Oh, it's just insulting. Isn't it? Also, I'm sort of getting down off on a tangent here, but also, you know, trying to roleplay my character and improv and stuff, which is something that I have a background in, and basically being told to shut up because I was slowing down the progression of the mission. Like, you're only supposed to go in and get the mission. This is not a conversation. And I'm just like... Oh, yeah, that's funny you should say that because, like, the reason we're using the Powered by the Apocalypse system for Descent into Midnight is really, honestly, one of the core tenets of Powered by the Apocalypse is this game is a conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is amazing. I, but I could talk about Powered by the Apocalypse and masks and PBTA all, all night, so, yeah. <laughs> so you were saying? I'm going to hook you up with Claire Mulcairn if you haven't talked to them before. Oh, wait, why do I know that name? Oh, I know her from Gameable, Smash right? Fiction. At Smash oh, yeah, Fiction, and yeah, Gameable, yeah, yeah. Gameable podcast. I haven't listened to Smash Fiction yet, but I have. I've heard uh, Smash Fiction rules. Uh, I've had about half their cast on this show because they're all lovely people. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. 
put you two together and let you talk Powered by the Apocalypse. Chris uh, Newton's been on our show twice, and he's blown my mind oh, yeah. both times. He's just, <laughs> he's amazing. I love that guy. Yeah. And part of the thing of like getting into one and being like, okay, you can bring your knowledge from the RPG world into something like Whelmed to talk about Young Justice and gain a greater understanding of the one thing through the other. It was something that at the time, like the minute you hear it, you go, of, of course you can. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And the idea of saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this comic book TV show podcast and only talk about the comics in the TV show now seems incredibly limited, to be honest. I appreciate that. It's basically a podcast in which I have an excuse to invite whoever I want into my house to talk to <laughs> about whatever I want. Steve Kenson, who's one of my favorite designers, he worked on Mutants and Masterminds, but he also wrote a bunch of stuff for 3.5 that are very dear to my heart. Invited him on the show because he had started an article series. Uh, he got about six or seven episodes into Young Justice talking about the application to role-playing games, uh, particularly for superheroes. So I invited him on the show. We've got hit that interview. It was great. Steve's, Steve's a great guy. And so basically it's all the things that I love and I'm passionate about kind of mashed into one thing, including sociology, psychology, you know, uh, socio-emotional stuff. We had uh, God, just a conversation that was really dear to me was with a woman named Sylvia Soderstrand, and she's a listener to the show. And she came on to talk about spirituality and shape-shifting. My particular spirituality leans in a shamanic bent, so the concept of shape-shifting is a spiritual practice for me. She also happens to be a trans woman, and so we had a very deep conversation about the concepts of McGann and her identity and choosing who she is and who she will express herself from internally to externally. It was incredible. I just We were talking offline, and I was like, that's it. I'm, I can't stop talking. Save it for the podcast. We're getting you on the podcast because we're having this fascinating conversation. I'm like, let's get this on record because I just I want more. I want more of this. That's such a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. it is. And so to and also really my I joke that my insidious plan with Whelmed is to take anyone who has a passion for watching the show and realize that they don't have to be passive watchers of a show, number one try to help turn them into an active watcher of a show and then learn the reasons that why at least we think that you enjoy the show and apply that to their own creativity so we get more creative stuff out in the world so I get to enjoy more stuff it's entirely <laughs> selfish all of it is selfish yep. I just want to see more cool stuff I want to see I want to watch I want to read I want to listen to the thing that only you can create right and everyone has those unique aspects of themselves they can mash together to create something unique and I I would love to see all of it that's fantastic yeah all right well let's start with the basics rich whereabouts did you grow up I was born in Ohio and lived in Pennsylvania for a few years, but by the time I was five or six, we moved to a town in Kentucky called Owensboro. So when I was about six years old until I graduated high school, I lived in Kentucky. And then my dad got a job in California. We moved out to Orange County and I went to community college in Orange County at Saddleback Community College. And then I transferred from there up to UC Santa Cruz, which is where I got my marine biology degree from. That's kind of the story to my early 20s. It gets crazy and complicated after that. I'm all over the map. <laughs> but that's basically kind of where I grew up. So small town, Kentucky. So what led you to marine biology? Was it something in particular that you wanted <laughs> to study or was it just something you fell into? It was very specific. And I wish I could find out who wrote the article that I read. But I read an article that was talking about a guy named Ken Norris who is the grandfather of marine mammal natural history. So marine mammals are notoriously hard to study. They're always on the move, and anytime you introduce a boat with divers, their natural behavior is going to change. So it's very difficult to do. Well, he and his research team found a bay in Hawaii in which a pod of spinner dolphins would return every night to sleep. Well, this was an unusual thing. You could predict where a pod of dolphins was going to be at any one time, and so they set up blinds and research station areas, and they studied this pod of spinner dolphins and learned incredible things. Things like they sleep one hemisphere of the brain at a time. Wow. Yeah, so one half of the brain at a time, which leads to whole kinds of things. My, my emphasis was going to be on marine mammal sleep physiology, which is a whole thing. I won't get into it here because I won't stop talking. But the <laughs> So I read this article and started to realize, oh, man, these creatures are human-like. They're mammals. They have all of the characteristics that we do. They, they have all the requirements that we do. They have to breathe air. They feed their babies with milk. And, you know, they have to stay warm and all of this stuff. Yet somehow they are also entirely alien. Their echolocation is something we cannot comprehend. I was so deeply fascinated that I was like, I want to do this. And then when my dad had to switch jobs, I had told him I wanted to go to Santa Cruz because that's where Ken Norris was. And he 
bless his heart, he got offered a lot of jobs across the states and decided to take one in California. So I was able to, small town Kentucky, not many people are motivated in high school and stuff. My grades were not great. But I went and went to community college for three years, rocked straight A's the whole time, basically. Not quite, but close enough. Better than high school. And then uh, got accepted up to Santa Cruz. And uh, unfortunately, right when I got there, he had retired the quarter before I got there. But I got to meet him, and we got to spend time together, and he invited me up to his ranch for lunch one day, and we got a long conversation. He, he wrote me a letter of recommendation, even though I hadn't been in one of his classes oh, wow. before. It was amazing. That's so great. It is, yeah. Unfortunately, marine mammal doctorates are very rare and difficult to get, so I could not continue with my PhD as I had hoped, and so I had to do something else. And so I veered into a different area of biology and went into veterinary nursing, and I was a veterinary nurse, and I worked for surgical specialty hospitals. I did volunteer work for the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I worked at zoos and aquariums doing veterinary work with animals for about 10 years, which is where I ended up doing that. So yeah, so that's the kind of story. thing is, I think you know, for these the listeners who have reached out to me, I mean, I've talked to Kit Mulcairn and I've talked to Helena Hart about being a kid who's like into animals and having that, you know, pulling yeah. in any information you can find and how something like a book or an article can be incredibly important to you. I was actually just tweeting the other day about a book that I do not know the title of because shortly after I got it, my dad put a leather dust cover around it because he was working at Canada Life Insurance at the time. And so it was a brown leather Canada Life Insurance dust jacket, which he put around this book, which was this sort of, not even encyclopedia, sort of a history of dinosaurs and prehistoric mammals. And it was the first book I ever had that went through all the periods of the earth, everything from Precambrian all the way up to like Cretaceous and learning all about, you know, the sea scorpions and stuff of the Tellurian Devonian periods and stuff. And just like, this was a book that, to me at the time, I'm sure it was written for young readers, but at the time it felt like I'd snuck an adult book. Yeah. Like, just having that sort of fire in you, it's just like, this This is great, this is all I want to learn about. And I read that book so many times, and I actually went, like, on a random, like, a two-hour, like, Google deep dive to try and work out. I thought it was one author, and it turned out to not be that, and it's, yeah, I've not found it since. But this idea of something taking hold of you, yeah, and I think it's actually fantastic that you, not only did it take hold of you, and you got to go to the same place where this writer had been, but actually got to meet him and he wrote you a letter of recommendation. It's kind of like that perfect ending to that story, which I think is fantastic. It was pretty breathtaking. It was a learning experience for me in particular too, because what he had done was he had retired, but he came back to teach one marine mammal guest professor class. Well, the marine mammal classes at Santa Cruz are about 350, 375 students in a giant lecture hall. And so when he got done lecturing, there were probably 40 people down there waiting to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was going to leave. I was like, I'm, who am I? It's going to be weird if I wait. And I'm like, you know what? No, forget that. This changed my life. And so I stayed. And this was the first time that I remember doing something like that. Like basically giving myself permission. I was a very shy. I mean, I liked people. I was a little bit of an extrovert, but I was also kind of weird and awkward and shy about a lot of things. Like a lot of people I think in our geeky industry are sometimes. I wanted to be extroverted, but I also wanted to be understood. And nobody got me really that well, with the exception of a handful of friends. And so... Who was I for this famous person, right? And I think that was one of the first times I gave myself permission to say, no, this is important to me. I get to I get to give myself this gift. And so I sat there and waited for like 30 plus people like to leave. And then I went to talk to him and I was the last person to talk to him. And he spent, he spent probably 25 minutes talking just to oh, me. And then he was so like, you know, I want to keep this conversation going, but I can't do it right now. How about you come up to lunch? And I was like, I don't know what? what's happening. And I went up and his wife was so nice. Unfortunately, they've passed since then. This was back in the 90s, but it sticks in my memory as an important developmental part of me as giving myself permission to be important enough, you know, or let myself be important to myself to do this. And the reward that I got for doing that was pretty, pretty big. So it was a helpful developmental tool moment for me i agree 100 percent, and it's not a real comparison but like it's something that i've talked about before with a lot with my friends and stuff about sort of the balance between not wanting to be a stressful fan but wanting to let someone know that the work that they've made is important yeah. to you yeah i have this conversation all the time man people talk to me about it all the time yeah and it's just this idea where it's like you want to pass this on because the thing is the last thing you want is for someone to think that their work is being unrecognized and you want to tell them that it is important and it means something and i see creators all the time being like yeah i love to hear this stuff but also you don't want to be the one who ruins their night so the only equivalent recent example that i can think of is uh, i go to a lot of local wrestling shows because sydney has a fantastic independent wrestling scene It's like something that, especially since having Hero, my social life has kind of shrunk because, you know, a baby. 
And so I've been able to plan usually every couple of months to go out to a local wrestling show with a few of my friends. And it's great. And we get to know the wrestlers there. And sometimes they'll have international guests that will come out. And I got to see X-Pac, who used to be the one, two, three kid back in the day. He had a match and it was a fun little match where he was a tag match with local guys. And after the match, I went by and he was there at the merch table and lots of people were like taking pictures and stuff. And I went by and I said, hey, great match. He said, thanks. And I went to leave and I hesitated. And he saw me hesitate and he kind of looked at me and he kind of nodded. And I said, I just wanted to say I was the smallest kid in my class. And I used to watch, you know, you as the one, two, three kid and you did martial arts and I did martial arts. And it was really important to me. And I, I just wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. And he reached out and he grabbed my hand and he shook my hand. And he put his arm on my shoulder. And he's like, thank you. That's kind of why I do this. And I kind of walked away with this kind of glow around yeah. me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got to say that. And that meant something to him. And it's like, fuck, you know, that's the kind of thing. That's why you say those things. And I think when you're making stuff, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want to hear, right? Yeah. And so I've been, I spent a lot of time thinking about the psychology of this because it's a pretty common thing. I don't know if what research has been done, but it's a pretty common thing to see plenty of people yelling at a creator about something that they hate that the creator did, <laughs> but you don't see yeah. the opposite. And I'm like, oh, well, humans are just terrible. Now it's, that's not really, <laughs> that's not really a thing. Like, yeah, yeah there's people, everybody's got their own story and you know, that kind of stuff. But I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it, and it really boils down to this. When you love something, you assume everybody knows that. <laughs> I don't have to walk up to George R. R. Martin or whatever and tell him that he's amazing because a billion people do that. Or even a writer or a creator that isn't super famous, you're like, oh, I'm going to go see them read at a local bookstore or whatever. You don't want to be that person because you're like, that's just embarrassing because they hear this all the time because I think they're great. Therefore, everybody thinks they're great. Therefore, I don't need to say anything, right? And I don't want to be awkward and weird and be that weird fanboy, fangirl, you know, whatever. But when you don't like something, you don't care about the creator as much. That person is not someone that you may admire in the same kind of way as someone you really love to or enjoy. So you don't have a problem saying like, man, you know, you killed this character off in book two and I think that was just garbage, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to, you know, or less polite. You don't have to do that. Because I talk to people and they're like, I really love this thing. I talk about this on social media all the time. I post about like, please tell creators you like their stuff. And they're like, but I don't want to be that weird person. And I'm like, this is literally all you have to do. Hi. I just finished reading book two of the Superstar Trilogy. I really connected with this book and I enjoyed it. And tag the creator on Twitter. Done. You maybe put a link to the audiobook or a link to you know your local bookstore or whatever you want to do. And then that's all you have to do. And then you know what? If they respond, they respond. If they don't, they don't. But I can almost guarantee you if you just say, this, I love this thing and this thing meant something to me and you tag a creator either they're going to respond, right? <laughs> or they're not going to respond, but I can guarantee you when you see that, you are going to make their day. It's great, yeah. Because what they're going to hear most of the time, what they hear most of the time, unfortunately, well, not most of the time, the thing that sticks out to them, even if they don't hear it most of the time, is some of the negativity that they carry with them. And as a creator myself and a fan, I put on my Twitter feed, like, I'm striving to be a better fan to the people who create the things I love. Because to do that means I get more of the things I love. It seems like a basic equation to me, for me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny when you mentioned that, you know, it's like when everyone accepts that a thing is good, that therefore it's like they will point out the things they don't like. It's actually something that has actually got me away from a good chunk of like pop culture review shows. Like, right. where it's like, oh, we're going to talk about this movie that's come out. We're going to talk about this TV show that's come out. Right. The ones that I end up dropping are the ones who go, okay, this is universally accepted to be a good thing. So we don't have to say that. All we're going to do is talk about our personal nitpicks and no way it's not what i want yeah you know especially around like for example the one that came to mind just shows how long it's been since i've been following recent tv i was listening to a review of stranger things the first season when it first came out which i had just finished and wanted to talk about i loved stranger things and lots of people were talking about and i went to a show that will not be named to say oh this is their stranger things episode i really want to hear what this round table has to say about stranger things And they basically just went, oh, it's been a phenomenon and lots of people are talking about it. And then they spent an hour just like nitpicking the things they didn't like. Yeah. And I went, "What? why would I see that you're you're talking about this thing that I'm enjoying and have just enjoyed and want to go and share my enjoyment with something and all you do is talk about the bad stuff? Well, I tell you, like, I, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And it's one of our approaches to Whelmed. We try to be positive on the show, but that does not mean that we do not constructively critique the show. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's a big difference. We obviously love the show. People have asked us to do Whelm-style breakdowns of things like Avatar The Last Airbender. And oh, my stuff. God. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a big one. that We get asked that all the time. Here's the thing. I love Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm not entirely sure how well it can hold up to a Whelm-style heavy dive. I think we could do it. There's a lot more episodes. Season one in particular had some filler episodes that kind of plugged in because they needed to have episodes. So we'd have to find a different way to do it. Young Justice is so tightly woven, it will stand up to a deep dive. And so we can talk about how much we love the show, but there... Okay, this is going to be a weird... All right, go maybe for it. Maybe a weird, go for weird it. aside. We're prepared. All, All right. right. <laughs> I sent a message to Greg Weissman on his birthday. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, hey, Greg, happy birthday. His response wasn't like, thanks or anything. His response was, you're giving me a hard time about the Black Manta helmets right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, look, <laughs> if Superboy punches one of them in the face, I can understand they're going unconscious. And you know how much I love Nightwing. But Nightwing hitting a guy with a helmet with an Escrima stick and having him go unconscious, you need to get better helmets. And he's like, what about football concussions? I'm like, don't make me pull the nurse card on you. Like, this is not a thing. And so this is like, he knows, they know, they listen to the show and they hear us critique the show. Like, hey, this is a thing that bugs me. Or this is a thing that we feel like could be done better. Or maybe we're missing the point here, but this seems disconnected in some way, as opposed to other episodes who tie so tightly into the metaplot. We do that, but we do it also with love, right? This is, there's a difference between constructive criticism merged with the things that you love. I've been alpha reader on some pretty amazing novels for some friends of mine who are writers. And the thing that I learned pretty quickly when I was also working on my novel was when you only tell someone the thing that doesn't work, they aren't that confident that anything else is working either. Yeah, yeah. They end up sometimes changing the things that are working to try and fix the things that aren't working. If you tell them, this is your roundhouse right here, like this is where you live, this thing that you describe and how you describe it and what you're doing with this, this is the thing that I don't see any other writer doing. Focus on this thing. Bring this to different chapters, right? Also, this character is a little flat or these two characters are both performing the same role and you either merge them or cut one or do something with these, like it'll tighten it up. Like you can give those constructive criticisms, but if you also tell people like, dude, this scene right here gave me chills, then they know, oh, okay, okay, this is the thing I should focus. Don't change this to fix the thing they told me <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> Don't take the good thing out, you know? Like, yeah. there's a different way to approach critiquing that I think people need to learn. And some people are like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to tell them what doesn't work and they can suck it up and then they can learn and they can figure it out for themselves. I'm like, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why do that? Why, wh- yeah. wh- how helpful is that? That doesn't feel helpful to anybody to me, but maybe <laughs> that's how my, just how my brain works and everybody's brain works differently. So maybe. Yeah. Although I will argue the point that Avatar could stand up to the deep dive. Admittedly, the filler episodes would suffer, but you may have heard it on the previous episodes. I did have a short-lived Avatar The Last Airbender recap show with my girlfriend that quickly died under our both full-time work schedules. And the fact it took me three hours to recap a 22-minute episode yep. because I write everything longhand and I ended up with like nine to ten pages. Oh, I remember. Actually, I think we had this conversation online. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not, oh, it would just, yeah. What yeah. I'm saying is oh, I'd, have to, I'd have to figure out how to do it to make sure yeah. that my love for that show, which is enormous, comes across in addition to being a positive, constructive critique of the things that may be wrong while still making sure we're getting across that you're never going to be perfect. Oh, of course not. Getting rid of the idea of perfection is very important. You finish the thing you're doing, you do the best you can with the tools you have, and you move on to the next project, and 10 years later, you're going to be better right? But you'll look back on that thing that you thought was great 10 years before, and you're going to hate it. Like, I am not a fan of our first episode. People love our (laughs) first episode, and it bothers me because we didn't stick to the outline the way I wanted to that we do in later episodes, and I had this vision of what it was going to be, and we ended up being so excited about everything. We were talking over each other, and like other people are like, this is great, and I'm like, I kind of hate this you know like (laughs) not to say that that's a critique of anybody listening to it it's just i had a vision of what was going on that ended up becoming part of the show but you know you're going to look at your own stuff differently and other people will look at your own stuff differently but avatar the last airbender is absolutely brilliant i just have to figure out how to do it because they had to fill Mm. some episodes young justice didn't have they didn't have filler episodes absolutely not 
They had one episode that was kind of a filler, but the other the two episodes that were kind of fillers. There were two, <laughs> two out of 26 episodes are not my favorite, and the rest of them are like through the roof. So like that's a pretty good percentage. Actually, that works as a very nice little segue mm. because what show that has some exceptionally transcendent moments, but also, yeah, has a lot of filler, especially in the early seasons, is why you wanted to come on the show, which is, mm-hmm. all right, I'm bracing myself. Let's talk about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. <laughs> Let's do it. I am so right. into this. <laughs> all right. So I know how I got into the show. I mean, I talked a little bit about it in the pre-show where, and, and in the early part of the episode where I would sort of mainline cartoons for my commute. And I had not watched Justice League. I, of course, watched Batman the Animated Series because it was on before I would go to high school and I would just be on TV. And I loved it. And I managed to miss the step to go into Justice League. And so at one point, I think I downloaded the entirety of it and then had to go and relabel all the files because they were out of order and do research before I could even start getting into it. Right. And actually really disliking some parts of the pilot, but then stuck through it. And this show, this show is something. So I am now going to turn the mic over to you. Tell me about your experience with Justice League. My experience with Justice League. I think I have to start a little farther back with my experience with Batman the Animated Series. Sure, sure. I was in college. This was 91, 92 in Santa Cruz. It was the summer between my junior and senior year. I -hmm. was at my apartment. I was channel surfing because that's what you did back in the day and stumbled across this animated series. And I was like, this is a unique art style. What is this? I've never seen this before. And it took me a few minutes to realize what was happening because it was Bruce in a suit in a room with Selena in a dress having a conversation, and Bruce is on the phone. So I didn't realize who was on the screen. It was just these two people in the room until I started picking up context clues. I was like, did he just say Selena? Is this a Batman show? (laughs) I'm like watching this, and then the whole episode, I was like, ah, this is the best thing ever. Because this was 91, 92. There's no internet. If you weren't plugged into a comic book store at the time, you probably didn't even know what was happening. Like, it just dropped on me, and it blew my mind. And then the, the episode right after that that I watched was the one where they made Mr. Freeze this horrifyingly relatable villain from the ridiculousness he'd been forever. And I'm like, this is changing everything, right? And so, of course, it was super popular. Of course, it skyrocketed up in people's, you know, fan favorite lists, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, Superman came out, and they did all that. And then all that stuff had been gone for a while. And then we got the announcement of Justice League. And I was in San Diego. I, I, what year did Justice League come out? Do you have that? I will find out. Actually, while I am looking that up, I'll just say it's funny because that experience of coming in to a show and then having it, realizing it's something you know, I actually had that with Beast Wars because I was just like walking by the TV and my dad was channel surfing. And he like said, hey, it's this, look at this cool CGI thing. It's like that reboot show you watch. Reboot. And I looked over and it was like, you know, yeah, it was like a cheetah and a spider and a rat and they were talking and it's like cool and then out of nowhere one of them turned into a robot and i went oh shit this is a new transformer series <laughs> and i may and of c- course because i was a teenager at the time my voice would have broken about halfway through that right, right of course yeah again it's right it's this idea where it's like you know nascent internet or no internet and no discussion of it so you don't actually know that something is mm-hmm. something that you like until you get a context clue. By the way, Justice League came out in 2001. So 2001, I had moved to San Diego already. I moved to San Diego in 98. And so I was in San Diego living there when the announcement came out. And I must have been, I must have just moved here, actually. And so I went to go see the panel for it and saw that they were like, oh, it's going to be, it's not going to be Hal, which I was disappointed in for some reason. And they were going to have Hot Girl, and I was like, that's an interesting choice. Like, they're going for diversity, but at the time, 20, jeez, how many years ago was that now? 20? 20 years? <laughs> 17 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago at the time, I was like, well, where's Hal, and where's Hawkman, and why aren't they also there, or that kind of stuff. Like, there was, like, my head was not wrapped around this thing until I realized what they were doing, and then I was like, oh. Funny enough, that leads to a, I think it was at that panel, this other story happened. We were also going to say we were going to try and talk about Super Friends because I'd watched that growing up. There was an episode of Super Friends that no one believed me had happened. <laughs> it was an episode of Super Friends where Batman and Robin are chasing Scarecrow. They run through an alleyway and Scarecrow hits him with the fear gas. And Batman finds himself in Crime Alley and goes through this whole traumatic like reliving of his parents' death. This was in Super Friends. <laughs> You know, for kids. For kids, right? (laughs) And I was like, what is happening right now? This is awesome. And like, I'm watching this whole thing, right? I've never been able to find it. 
people are like, I've never heard of this episode. This isn't a thing. I'm like, I didn't make this up. Like, <laughs> so I was in the Justice League panel and Bruce Tim, Bruce Tim was talking about it. And he was like, hey, yeah, back when I was writing for Super Friends. No. He said, I wrote this episode about no. Scarecrow and Batman in the alley with Crime Alley. And I was, I swear to God, I think I yelled at the top of my lungs in like a panel full of 6,000 people in Hall H. <laughs> I was like, I'm not crazy. That happened. And it was him. <laughs> that makes so much sense now. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, it was. I think that was at that panel. So then they were introducing all the stuff. And I'm like, how are they approaching this? This seems so weird to me. Like, I was that fan. And I was like, Martian Manhunter's in it? Okay, that's cool. That's cool. We never see Martian Manhunter, right? Like, yeah. He, he never shows up in these things. Like, he wasn't in Super Friends that I can remember. And then, of course, it came out. And we watched the premiere. And I was like, okay. This is interesting. We got the Batman from the animated series. We got the Superman back. They have a relationship, and it's kind of antagonistic, but it's good, and they know each other, and then they had these other characters. And then it was a little awkward, because I was like, wait, so they know Hot Girl? But they don't know Wonder Woman. Martian Manhunter's new. Okay, Flash was in Superman, but it's voiced by a different guy, and I mm -hmm. think it might be Wally instead of Barry, and I don't know what's happening. I liked it, and then they kept doing these two-parters that were really big stories, and they were all really interesting but there was something about those first two seasons that I really enjoyed, but felt like little snippets. And then you get to Justice League Unlimited. And Justice League Unlimited changed everything. Yep, yep. It laid the groundwork for the kind of storytelling you see in Young Justice. 100%, yeah. The callbacks to the first two seasons of Justice League, the groundwork they laid, the government versus the Justice League the subtleties, the gray areas, Green Arrow up in the watchtower having a debate with Superman and Kara and like all these super powerful people saying, yes, I live up here. I have no powers and I'm kind of scared of you guys. So I'm kind of not that surprised by this. Like, I'm like, this is, this is everything I've ever wanted. Actions having consequences. And yes. so, you know, you can have an episode where the Watchtower has a laser beam that, you know, destroys an alien invasion machine. And it's like, that's cool. Also, Warren Ellis wrote that fucking episode. Having this thing happen, it's like, okay, that's very much a cartoon thing. It's like, yeah, of course the satellite would have a laser that would be a last-ditch weapon that you'd have to activate to get rid of the big alien mothership. Yeah, it makes total sense. And yeah. then to have an entire season spin out of exactly what would happen if a government realized you had a weapon pointing down at them. There is a scene, so many good scenes. The scene where Batman shows up and confronts Amanda Waller in her bathroom. And by the end of that conversation, you don't know who won. And you're like... Ah. Like she's she's shaking and kind of freaking out, but Batman leaves, and then later on he confronts the whole thing where where they launch the kryptonite nuke to destroy Doomsday. At the end of that episode, like Superman's like I can't remember what he said. He said something casual, like Yeah, it's okay, we won the day or whatever. And he's like, You don't get to do that. I took a bullet for you today. This is not a joke. What's happening right now? And Clark's like, Wait, that's not what I meant, right? But now suddenly, even Bruce isn't sure. And everything, you know, what I heard was when they went into the next season, the second season of Justice League Unlimited, the producers, and I don't know if this is true, it might be apocryphal, but I, as I understand it, they were like, we don't know who the bad guys are. The, is it the government? That's weird. Is it the Justice League? Okay, weird also. You know, can you write something that's a little bit more clear? And so then they brought in the Legion of Doom kind of stuff with that, you know, the skull ship and the swamp, which again is a callback to the Super <laughs> the Friends. The Super Friends, and, yeah. Yeah, that season, I keep thinking it's not my favorite season, but actually has some of my favorite episodes of all time. So much it. good stuff happens there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I can't, you know, yeah, I can't say much against that season. It's got some great, the whole thing, the great brain robbery where... Uh, I was going to say, yeah, that was on, on TV the other day. I spotted it. I'm like, this is the best. It's like, so did what? you wash your hands? No, because I'm, I'm evil. evil. <laughs> It's where you get Clancy Brown trying to voice the character of Wally West by Michael Rosenbaum, who he must have had a riot doing that part. And Michael Rosenbaum <laughs> trying to do the voice of Clancy Brown. It's just, you think about the behind the scenes, I'm like, these guys must have been dying, dying yep. doing this scene. Because how many times, you know Clancy Brown wants to do comedy. You know oh, he yeah. wants to do comedy. You know he never you've, gets to do comedy. You've seen Highlander. You know he can do comedy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, so oh, Of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just everything has that, that sort of slithery, gravelly sound right. to it. It's like... Right. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, and, and yet also, again, talking about no filler episodes, that Great yeah. Brain Robbery episode also has the point where, you know, you realize exactly how powerful the Flash is yeah. when you put an evil brain into the Flash body and he takes out everyone. Yep. Which, if you think about it, is highlighting, you know, the end of Destroyer. And it's like everything is a little building block getting you all the way where you need to be. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why, like, when I was watching the first two seasons of Justice League, there's some great episodes in there. The one where they go to the alternate universe that's basically the Justice Society. Oh, yes. And then you find out how messed up that world is. Like, you're thinking, oh, this is this is cute. This is kind of a cute little run-in. And then... By the end of that, that gets super, like, post-apocalyptic, messed up, Mad Max dark. And even before you get, you know, you're a credit to your race, son, and you get to see Jon Stewart have to deal with this microaggression and casual racism and just go, hmm. It's like, and he was the one being the fanboy. And, yeah, like, oh, I long for a simpler time. Oh, by the way, simpler times that you think of with this golden tinge nostalgia maybe weren't great for marginalized people. Right. Go figure. Right. And the uh, Black Canary analog, and they're like, okay, hot girl, let's go bake stuff for the boys or whatever. And she's like, and excuse girl me. going to blow her head off. <laughs> like, uh, no, I'm yeah. not doing that. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a thing. What? <laughs> yeah. So there's so much to enjoy about Justice League and each of the individual episodes. But like, mm. like we were saying, like once it got to Justice League Unlimited, it took storytelling to a whole new level. When Crispin was on our show, he was talking about one of the many things that he appreciates about Greg. And for, for those of you who don't know, Greg Weissman, as one of the showrunners and creators of Young Justice, along with Brandon Vietti, also created Gargoyles. The I was Disney. about to say, you, you better mention Gargoyles in this Yeah, <laughs> mind-blowing show f- from the time as well. Which also went into this very serialized format in its yep. later season, you know, where they're traveling through worlds and... He, which he wasn't involved with that I aware, that oh, I'm really? aware of. I think the first oh, two seasons were his, and then after that, they went to some different directions, and he has a different canonical view of what happened. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Again, could be apocryphal. Haven't heard it from his mouth or anything. Like, I think that's what the situation was. Actually, Chris Newton would probably know, because he did the whole deep dive into Gargoyles on Gameable Saturday morning. So what Crispin was saying was, the thing he, one of the things he admires about Greg is that he is a conscious creator. He's not, oh, let's do four or five episodes and see what sticks and then kind of hope a meta plot shows up, you know, that kind of stuff. Justice League Unlimited, they knew what was happening, but they were pulling threads from random stuff that happened in the first two seasons. They're like, hey, let's call back to this and pull this in and and make it make sense. I am unconvinced that they knew what was going to happen in Justice League Unlimited back when they were writing the original episodes of Justice League. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Young Justice, where in the first five minutes of the first episode, you get a foreshadowing of the finale. (laughs) You know, it's like, what did I just hear him say? Like, you know, and when you watch it a second, third or 50 second time like me you catch these things in the background and realize this is an animated show this isn't that it's an actor spontaneously making a face or reacting to something all of these things get planted when somebody's character in the background raises their eyebrow when somebody makes a comment in episode four and that has to do with something gets revealed in episode 20 that has to be conscientious and greg as crispin says he sets things up and then knocks them down right and justice league unlimited set stuff up and knocked it down and just rocked it it's something i was talking to shannon maynard about she works on archer and it's something where i wanted specifically to ask because like you said it's that conscious creation right every little thing of every little scene every background element every title of a book that's on a bookshelf it's like if it's important it will be visible if it's not important it won't be visible right and if it's visible it's there for a reason yes it's like reading Alan Moore's scripts for comics and seeing this like block paragraph describing this room. And you know every bit of that thing has been researched and annotated and is important and is trying to tell you something. Yes, exactly. And I'm going to assume some of your listeners haven't seen Young Justice yet, so I'll try not to spoil things. But there is an episode <laughs> around episode 20 where you get a big mm-hmm. reveal that involves a fictional TV show <laughs> around episode 20. Yep. If yep. you rewatch it, watch the series... Look in the background in episode six, because there's a television set in the background of Artemis's apartment. She's working on her archery gear. Watch the background, because in the background, there's an announcer that says, next up, another episode of, and then he starts to say the title, which would have like blown everything open. And Artemis turns the TV off because her mom comes in the room. 
that happens twice before the reveal of the TV show we're talking about. And there is no way you would have <laughs> any idea that that even meant anything unless you watched everything through and then rewatched it again. And the show is chocked full of that stuff. Unbelievable. I mean, I still remember, I think it was watching Terrors and realizing that, oh, by the way, they're paying off the throwaway, oh, three ice villains at the same time joke. Yeah, from the, from the opening episode. The first three minutes of the episode of the first episode mr freeze says my family has different plans is his line and you're like what does that mean and then you're like mm. oh it's a bunch of ice villains uh, whatever but then when you get to terrors you're like oh my god like everything plays into everything else like they're like mm. this is something that i had not seen since justice league unlimited yeah and not even really then like young justice takes that incredible foundation that justice league laid and turns it up to 11. But Justice League gets so much credit for cracking this stuff open. The other thing that they did that Emily might be happy I'm talking about <laughs> is the idea of taking a relationship that's not in the comics and putting it in an animated series because it makes sense for the context of the story that you're telling in the series. I don't know any storyline from the comics where Diana and Bruce are dating. Why would I know any comic storyline in which Jon Stewart and <laughs> Cher Hall are dating. That's not a thing, right? And for Christmas they go and they have a bar fight and they end up all sleeping like puppies on the floor. <laughs> exactly. You watch this and you can say like, oh, it's not like the comics, I hate this. Nobody's going to do that because when you're watching it, everything makes sense for the context of the characters in the space they are and the heart of every character is present. That is their version of Shayara Hall. She is perfect the way that she is, and every decision she makes makes sense for that character. And the heartbreaking things that happen to her, her choices, her betrayals, her betrayal of herself and her friends and coming back, like her whole story arc is incredible. And it's not a story arc we ever see in the comics because unfortunately Shayara or Kendra sometimes takes a backseat to you know carter yeah the whole hawk mess is like something that drags down those characters like a weight tied to their ankles That's and every thing. time they try to yeah. fix it it makes it worse but you're totally right and this idea and the thing is we talked a little bit about how some of the first couple of seasons seem like filler and they tell these two episode arcs that can be seen out of order because they're built for syndication yeah right or you can show them in an action-packed block where you get oh it's two episodes together and what you end up getting is a ton of toys in the toy box. You get a whole mm -hmm. bunch of, let's, let's say your past battles, you've got a whole bunch of loot dropped on the field so that when you do want to build that through line for the storyline, you have all this stuff to pick from. Yes. You know? Yep. And so you can see, all right, well, here's an episode where uh, Felix Faust is blackmailing Diana to work for him and the League has to deal with that and that strains their relationship. Or here's how Metamorpho turns up right. and all these things. But also in between that, you're also getting like you said, the heart of these characters, where you can say, all right, I know who the Flash is. So when they have the Flash, have Flash and Substance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You are given this whole nother level to a character you thought you knew. Yeah. Let's talk about... Can we talk about that for a minute? About Flash and Substance and how it's the best fucking thing and how Justice League Flash is the best fucking Flash. And I have previously, on this very show, cried about Justice League Flash. Yeah. Because he is so good. He's so good. Ugh. And starts out so bad and yet becomes so good. And you know what? There's almost a direct parallel to the Jason Spizak voiced Kid Flash in Young Justice mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. He has a lot of growing to do. And by the second season, he's just a fan favorite. And then we won't talk about anything else that happens with him. So Flash and Substance is an episode, and it's a Flash-focused episode in which we get to see the character of Wally and why he's the way that he is. And he's running around helping people. It's not just supervillains and fighting people and saving people falling off of bridges. He's running next to a woman in a car, and he's all, I can't remember when he said, he's like, hi, Irene, how's that shoulder? And she's like, my bursitis is really good. He's like, you sure know your liniment, Flash. And then he like runs off and it's just like, he's just there to be a positive influence on a community, not just like the superhero. And the rest of the episode has Orion and Batman as the foils to Wally in this. And his rogues gallery is gathering together to try and murder him or something. They're all trying to do their thing. Oh no, they're, they're trying to do their best to have a crime where they can steal something to one-up each other, which is the most fucking rogues thing on the planet. Totally, absolutely. And then they run into Trickster and Trickster's in a bar that he's always in. And Orion and Batman are going to like interrogate and beat the garbage out of Trickster. <laughs> 
And Flash is like, guys, guys, tone it down. And he's like, he walks up and sits down and he's like, James, you're in the costume again. <laughs> and he's like, I am? And he's like, Did, are you off your meds? I'll take them when I feel bad. That's not how they work, James. I tell you what, I'll visit you. Turn yourself in after you finish your drink. You got me again, Flash. Like, it's, oh, it's, it's, the, it's so good. It's the perfect, and, and coming from somebody who is a nurse, you know, a practitioner of Aikido, like, this is the kind of de-escalation thing that you do in a conflict, right? Like, I love my comic book craziness, but to see Flash, or in another episode, Dove, from Hawk and Dove, who being the manifestation of human peace, acting in this manner, redirecting energy or de-escalating a situation because he knows the person, like he gets to know the person instead of treating that person as not a human being. I was just, it was the best. I like, I tear up when I watch that episode every time. It's amazing. And it's one of those situations, I think one of my friends on Twitter said, I forget who, sorry, friend, but we were talking about this, about how great Justice League Flash is. And she said something to the effect of, sure, he fights crime. He just doesn't hate it. He doesn't hate the people who do it. Yes, exactly. And that's such a big difference. So good. Yeah, exactly. One of our Secret Origins episodes, I focus on Wally and why Wally is unique. And this character is Wally West. Now, my Flash growing up was Barry, Barry Allen, till Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then for a very long time, Barry was the hero who is dead. And will occasionally turn up for his couple of seconds to change things. But no, he didn't for like two decades. And then he finally, oh, okay. then they finally brought him back. To me, Barry was the hero who was dead until they brought him back. And then I kind of hated it. But <laughs> because Barry was my Flash, Wally wasn't. And Wally was slower. He wasn't as fast. He just wasn't as good or interesting. He hadn't grown up yet. Like this whole thing happened in the 80s, right? Then Wally became my favorite Flash. And the reason is because of a Mark Wade issue he wrote for the Zero Hour event. It's literally the Flash Zero Hour issue zero, where Wally, as usual, is trapped in the time stream and ends up back in his old house during a family reunion. As things are happening, he starts to remember that during this family reunion, he ran into who he thought was an uncle or a relative that he'd never met. And that uncle told him, <laughs> sorry, I'm starting to cry. No, please. It's all good. <clears throat> that uncle told him how incredible his life was going to be, that all oh. his dreams were going to come true. <laughs> and it was just, oh. oh, it kills me. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's, it's so good. He loves being a superhero. He wants to be a hero and help people. But he doesn't hate it. He doesn't have that traumatic background of Dick, who also wants to be a hero. He doesn't have the trauma of Artemis. He doesn't have the trauma of Garth, you know, from the original Titans. Whoever you want to put up there, he hasn't had that. He's the hero who loves to be a hero. And when you own that, then he becomes a whole different kind of thing, you know? And yeah, and using Orion as a foil is just perfect because Orion literally grew up. He, was, he grew up in Apocalypse. Yeah. He was he was the good kid thrown into the equivalent of juvie and had to survive that. And so it's like, you know, Sims talks about it a lot on War Rocket Ajax, the whole idea of the new gods where good will out, right? Yeah. Where you take being born of evil and you raise him good and he will be good. And then you take a being born of goodness and put him into a bad situation and the goodness will win out. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's Scott Free and, and Orion. But it also gives a certain bluntness to Orion because, hey, he's he's pretty much Jack Kirby Orion. Or Jack Kirby Orion got a whole issue where he just got to fight. Yeah. And it's like, oh, sorry, he, was that Walt Simonson? That was Walt Simonson. My bad. He lectures Batman about, like, why do you even spend time with this idiot? You know, like, he's not a warrior like us. Like, that kind of thing. But by the end of the episode, Orion has a completely changed view of how, what a hero means. It's just the best. I love it. It's so great. And I'm trying to remember whether it's that episode or one of the others where Flash is like holding someone up by their heel off a building like Batman does. And the crook says something to the effect of, look, pal, I've been intimidated by Batman. You're not Batman. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to talk. Right. And Flash says something to the effect of, you're right. I'm not. And he lets him go. And of course, runs down the building and catches him before he lands and then goes back up. It's like, we're going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't know if it's from that episode or not. That's so oh, but it's it's still it's just one of those things where it's like it still keeps the playful aspect because the villain is never actually in danger. Right. But you know, good is not soft. Good is not always nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can be assertive without being aggressive, and that's a very Absolutely. big key thing when you're dealing with the situation. Just because you're not being angry and aggressive and you know forceful 
doesn't mean you're not getting the job done or shouldn't get the job done, but you can do that with a little bit of a fewer sharp edges. I wouldn't even say soft edges. I would say just fewer sharp edges. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's for me, it's a lesson in life as well. So being able to see, you get to see character growth in Justice League from time to time. They also dropped like all kinds of fun. Like when you, when you're going to change characters for a different story arc, you also want to give nods to the fans to tell them we know what we're talking about. There's one line where there's an episode where Wonder Woman is going around with the princess of a country. And I can't remember who it was. And they went dancing and they did all this stuff. And the princess was mocking her and said, I'm surprised that Wonder Woman is not a great dancer. You have feet of clay. And she's (laughs) Wonder Woman looks at her and says, you have no idea. Oh, my God. That's uh, so good. Right. Like, and you don't need to know that that's a reference to that Wonder Woman origin where she was a statue animated to understand to, to get it doesn't matter for the plot of the story, but it's a nod so that you're just like, wait a minute, we haven't actually seen her origin. Is she a statue? Like, what's up with this? It's, it's frankly the kind of thing that the current Marvel movies will do in the lead up, which I'm sure makes me the most annoying person on the planet uh, <laughs> on the drive home from a Marvel movie, because it's now at the point where my girlfriend would turn to me and go, go on, tell me what you want to tell me. And I'm like, oh, well, you see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Normally in a situation where we're going as deep as we are into a property, I would normally say, so what would you think would be an ideal starting point? But really, when you talk about it like that, Justice League doesn't really fit that way because there are some episodes that you can pick kind of out of context and start without knowing anything and you can still enjoy it. But then when you get to Unlimited, you really have to follow it through. So if you were to pick like just like a handful, like just some quick hits of like some really singular episodes that someone could pick up and have a look at, what do you think? God, you're right. This is a really tough one. And I mean, feel free to use the, don't have to use the titles. You can just say, oh, the one where this happens. Yeah. Might be easier. Well, I'm not sure if I have an answer to that because when I refer people to Justice League, I say you can watch pretty much any two-parter from the first two seasons. Just pick one that looks interesting, right? Maybe not Star-Crossed, the three-parter, because that's where (laughs) a big reveal happens. But I often point people to, why don't you go to Justice League Unlimited? Start from the very first episode of Justice League Unlimited because it's kind of a bit of a reboot. They introduce Green Arrow and they introduce these other characters, Supergirl and Captain Adam, which were all really good foils to one another. And you get to see this thing. Now, they're going to make references to things from those first two seasons, but you don't necessarily need to know them. So I kind of recommend people watch the first season of Justice League Unlimited, which is technically the third season of Justice League. Watch that. Then you could go back and watch the first two seasons and you could go like, oh, this is what they were referring to or that kind of thing. That is not the way I normally recommend people watch stuff. But the thing is, Justice League Unlimited goes to just half hour self-contained episodes. It's really good writing. It's tight stuff. They explain everything they need to explain. So it's easier to binge and digest than two seasons of two-part episodes that might be a bit much for someone when they don't have connected concepts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that could work, sort of a Justice League machete order, if you will. Uh, yes, if you will, <laughs> yeah. And then definitely watch the final season because it's got some just some great stuff. But some, of mm-hmm. it, some of it's a little bit silly, like Grodd's ultimate plan is weirdly comic, like from the comics. But there are some just some brilliant episodes in there. Um, the Flash and Substance we talk about, the Great Brain Robbery we talk about. Oh, God, we haven't even talked about the question. We haven't even talked about oh, how good yeah. the question is. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, so <laughs> Jeff Stormer, you were talking earlier about the Fourth World and Orion and Apocalypse. We have a whole episode where Jeff Stormer comes on and talks about the history of the Fourth World in detail, which is great. But he also have another episode where he came back to talk about the Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold. And he also, of course, talks about the question because Blue Beetle and the question were both created. They're both created for Charlton Comics. Yeah, they're both Ditko characters. And we talk about the question in detail there and how much we love him. But we make reference to this because it is the best. This question is so good. Of course, you got like Jeffrey Combs is doing the voice. He's so good. And then... The whole, like, he's getting tortured. He's a conspiracy, crazy conspiracy theorist guy. Oh, yeah. He's the best detective in the world because he is not burdened by things like truth or facts. <laughs> right, exactly, right. Yeah, he can come up with a world-shattering revelation from nothing. But yeah, or, or emotions <laughs> or caring about anyone else. And, I mean, he's got, what, two, three, like, two or three of the best lines, I think, in Just League Unlimited. Yeah. He's got the, the one about... Where the plastic bits on the end of shoelaces are called aglets. Their true purpose is sinister. Right. Their true purpose <laughs> is sinister. 
Yeah, he's so good. Yeah. And then he's got the A is A speech he gives to Lex Luthor oh. right before Lex yeah. Luthor destroys him. Like, yeah. oh, so good. Oh, my God. And yeah, and then he, he comes back for the finale where he's running over parademons with his car. And right. I cheered when I saw it. <laughs> exactly. The episode Double Date that was written by Gail Simone. So mm-hmm, good mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. him and Huntress and Green Arrow and Black Canary. All good. And of course, Black Canary is being voiced by... Um, Oh, God. Now, of course, her name runs right out of my head. The woman who played Inara on Firefly. Um, oh, yes, and Marina Baccarin. Marina Baccarin. Thank you. I was thinking Marina Sirtis, and I was like, no, wait, mm. that's that's nope. a whole different... That's going back to another Greg Wiseman property, but yeah. still. <laughs> and, and a current Wiseman property, because she voices Queen Bee yep. in Young Justice as well. There you go. Yeah. So, just good stuff. Like Emily and I talked about this on Twitter, where Huntress basically talks and flirts like a villain in that everything is flirty and you know testing and challenging and the question doesn't know how to person (laughs) he doesn't know and eventually she has to just be direct and just grab him by his tie and drag him off screen (laughs) jeff made reference to a line i had totally forgotten about where huntress is talking to question on the phone and at Mm. the end of whatever they're talking about she goes so uh what are you wearing (laughs) And, and he's all trench coat fedora orange socks (laughs) <laughs> she's like you're hopeless yeah. I, I don't know what you want from me in this it's situation like, but uh... is the orange socks help i don't know what's happening right now <laughs> yeah ty well he is looking in the baskin robbins warehouse to find that there are actually 32, 32 flavors. flavors right exactly oh, and you know perfect. what and one thing i want one last thing i want to mention is just the best thing about justice league and justice league unlimited is that they figured out a mechanic they figured out how to tell ensemble cast stories and Mm -hmm. every character is there for a reason the episode where shazam shows up and school superman about what it really means to be a hero like every talk about that it's so good yeah every character has a reason and purpose to be there no one is extraneous and that thought process right there that ability whatever code they cracked for that led straight into young justice because the ensemble cast is even bigger and the character development and background are even deeper and richer and that level of respect that we're now getting from American animation, it may not entirely start with Justice League, but the ensemble cast aspect of it, in my opinion, absolutely does. I think that's a great note to end it on. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? Well, you can get a, see us mostly on Twitter. Uh, I am on Facebook. You can find me there as well. We do have Whelm, the Young Justice Files Facebook page. But I'm much more active on Twitter. You can find us at the YJ Files on Twitter. You can find links to my co-host Emily and my, my own uh, personal Twitter feed there as well. If you're a role-playing game fan, I will be at Gen Con. It's next week as of this recording, so I don't know if it will uh, go out before then. You can find information about our game Descent into Midnight on Twitter at D-I-M-R-P-G or you can go to DescentIntoMidnight.com. You can also find my 5th edition D&D work on DriveThruRPG or my columns on Tribality.com. Very cool. Alright, well thank you so much for coming on, Rich. This is a long but it was a very good episode and I'm happy you got to come on and talk like this thanks so much I love your show and I was, it was an honor to come on thank you very much to rich howard for his time for rich's signature cocktail he gave me pretty much an open slate he said he does drink just not much and when he does it's usually something sweet or subtle like various ciders coke and rum or whiskey lots of coke little whiskey margaritas hard lemonade etc and that he's a fruitaholic i think i can work with that and so i present the red tornado in a shaker with no ice combine three quarters of an ounce of cognac three quarters of an ounce of Grand Marnier, three quarters of an ounce of apricot brandy, three quarters of an ounce of orange juice, one egg white, and two shakes of Peychaud's bitters. Shake vigorously for about 20 seconds. That will make the egg white start to foam. Then you can add some ice and shake for a further 30 seconds until the outside of the vessel frosts over. Strain through a fine mesh sieve if you have one into a rocks glass with a big fresh ice cube. I'm told social interaction is an important team building exercise. Perhaps you can keep busy by having a drink. Enjoy.
till you're announced We've not yet lost all our graces The hounds will stay in chains Look upon your greatness and she'll send a call out Send a call out, send a call out, send a call out Send a call out, send a call out, send a call out, send a call out, send The Method View is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofview at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. Hey, there's a $17 million Powerball. If you pledge $17 million, I, I, would, be, I would be astounded. I'd be very impressed. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, cursive tweets, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. Certain levels of patronage come with thanks on the show, and this week I've got three people to thank. I'd like to thank former guests Megan Bob and Stephen Gollin, as well as Mr. Lobotomy, who I know is one half of Jeff and Rick Present, who make the very awesome Unpacking the Power Pack podcast. Thanks everyone, you're all Justice League material in my eyes. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? And as of this week, we are on Spotify. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Additionally, I have changed my hosting platform from Squarespace over to Pippa.io, and as of this episode, it'll be on a new RSS feed. However, I have transferred and imported everything, so the transition should be extremely smooth. You shouldn't have to resubscribe to anything. Side note, Pippa has a lot of really great accessibility options, like transcripts, and I can make these little videos with like written text from the episode. It's really cool, and I'm having a lot of fun exploring it. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used going all the way back to episode one, including this one. Of course, it's Team by Lord. I update the playlist with the music as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get the new music in your ears. Next week, it's another bonus episode week, but instead of ducking into the back catalog, I'm going to break the trend a little bit. I'm putting up Rich's bonus episode immediately. We had a really good conversation, and I'd like you all to hear that. Join me, won't you? M-R-P-G? Or, <laughs> sorry, was that your son? That may have been my partner shrieking as my son bitter or something like that so god knows gotcha. okay sorry <laughs>